0: Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Now that we don't really think about it, but I just want to take a few moments and just pause and think about the impact that the internet has truthfully had on our lives so right now all of our baby boomers gen x and some of our millennials we're going to take a little trip down memory lane to remember what life was like before the internet it was awesome in this time there were pros and there were cons but in some ways it was so much better because we could completely unplug from life and from everything We didn't have to answer our emails 24-7. We weren't immediately reachable by text. And then when we get that little bubble, you feel like you've got to answer that bubble or you feel guilty or is it just me, right? So you get the bubbles. And so I feel like I'm always connected and always on 24-7. And so I have this tension of I can never just relax. Some of the pros of what we had back in that day is that we actually had this thing called debate, we would sit down and we would have a disagreement about how many passing yards some quarterback had, and then we would discuss that, and there was no way to know the truth, because we, we couldn't Google it. We would just say, well, I'm right, and we would actually have like, conversations that were, like, weren't always resolved, and we would be able to do this and live life and have what we used to call relationships with people. Right? It was awesome, and there was so many pros to this time before the internet, But there's also pros now with the internet. Let's talk about trying to find places that you've never been to before. Um, Before, (laughs) we'll even go before MapQuest, right? Before we could even know how to get somewhere, we had these huge paper maps. We'd have to unfold them, we'd have to plan our trip, we'd have to ask questions, how do I get there? We'd we'd have to do all these things to try to figure out how to get somewhere. And the old-timers, I call them the old-timers, the old guys, there's a thing with old guys, they're going to tell you how to get there and they don't care if you're listening or not. They're going to give you directions. Well, you just, you turn right at the old barn and you turn left at the old tractor and go about seven clicks by my uncle's house and then turn left again. I'm like, bro, I don't know what you're saying, right? And so that was like old school, how you get directions of things. Now I'm like, oh, I'm going somewhere. And one of my old timer friends be like, here, I'm like, I don't need to know. And I'll start typing in the place into my maps and they'll still tell me. And I'm like, brother, I don't need to know. I've got it on my Google Maps. So now everything is instantaneous and in my hands all the time. I have the ability to find out what I want when I want it. Here's something that's super awesome about the fact that we have internet and phones and everything in our pockets, is that when I was younger, and I wanted to find out if my friends could get together to come, hey, we're all gonna get together, we're gonna play some volleyball, and I would call my friends. In my day, I'd have to call each individual house and talk probably to their parent. And I'd say, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, is Steve home? And she'd be like, yeah, just one second. And then it felt like, you know, you wait forever. And then Steve comes like, hey, what's going on? Hey, we're playing volleyball. Can you play? Or it was Steve's not home. Where is he? I don't know. Because the parents didn't know where kids were back in our day. And so like, I don't know. He's not home. And so we had to like find out and had to drag everybody together. But new school is everybody just has a snap. We put our Snapchats up, hey, we're all going to meet here at this time, and people either show up or don't show up. And so the internet has created such great conveniences, but at the same time, our ability to have everything instantaneously has left us lacking in some things. And so those of us who've lived both with and without, we live in attention. And I have the joy of being able to uh, coach and teach and be around Generation Z, And if you haven't been around Generation Z, which is the generation that's being raised up right now, and they're about to be parents, which is even more scary, uh, the younger generation here, uh, they don't understand life without internet. They don't understand that phones were connected to curly Q Q cords, and they don't understand that you have to, when you eat, you're supposed to put your phone down and look at somebody and have a conversation. (laughs) They believe this is a conversation. I'm like, bro, I am right here. Like, I know, and they just keep typing. It's the culture we're raised in. And um, I like to talk about generations. Excuse me. I like to talk. Wow, that's really froggy. Thank you. I'm so sorry for that, Regweed. I like to talk about generations because generations define how we view the world and culture around us. What the environment we're raised in influences us and how we were raised and what we were around influences the way that we see the world around us. And so for those of us who are not part of the internet generation and some of us who lived with both, and then there's a generation that lives only with, we see the world so emphatically different. Have you ever thought for a second, how much has the internet influenced Christianity? Just faith. Now, remember, there's multiple generations in here with multiple viewpoints. I remember the first time um, I was a youth pastor at the time and a student, I, I had a very large youth group, a junior high youth group, and uh, the first time a student were starting to get cell phones, okay? Uh, thank you. Phones were for like doctors and people like that. You know, we had our pagers, beep, beep, you know, and, uh, but nobody had phones. And I was teaching in the middle of this youth group, huge group, and this boy stands up flips open his phone because they used to flip and goes, hello? And so like all the kids turn and like, look at this, this is brand new, like no kids had cell phones. He's like, oh, I'm in church right now and this guy's boring. So like in the middle of this and I say, get out of here, I don't like you, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, So that was like the beginning and this was like the early 2000s. Transferred to the first time I was in church and I had some uh, people yelling at my kids. And I intervened, and I said, hey, what's going on? They're like, they're on their phones during church service. That is wrong, and that is sinful. And they're like, Jason, I swear. And they opened up, they had a Bible app, and they were taking notes. And they were actually sharing verses to their friends on social media. And that's now in, like, the mid-2010. like 2010, This is now becoming normalized. Because it used to be the only word of God is the paper word of God. And it's got to be on paper, and you've got to be able to write on it. And I'm old school. I like that. I prefer that. But at the same time, I also have a Bible in my pocket. It's changing the way that we interact with our faith. Every morning I wake up, I have a devotional on my phone. The first thing I do is I click on that devotional, and I can go through a guided prayer before I do anything else in my day. I have a guided prayer set for me for who to pray for and how to pray for it. It's all right there, and it's changing the way I do my faith. We don't think much about that in Christianity. And actually, Christianity... In my experience, because I'm Gen Z, right in between the tension of both generations and the tension that exists, is that I had to walk through it. And one of the things I learned in this is that they said that this is one of the biggest shifts in human history ever, the internet, one of the biggest shifts in human history ever. Only the printing press in 1450 by Gutenberg changed Christianity so much. 1450 went from the Bible was not yours, Gutenberg created the printing press. The printing press created the Bible that you have in your hand. The Bible that you have in the hand meant you got to read the Word of God for yourself. Now, you have the Word of God for yourself. You start to read and ask questions because before, someone told you what God said, and you're like, "Um, did God really say that? Is that really in the Bible? And it changed the way that we started to view our faith walk. Now, the Internet, technology gives us the Bible— gives us pastors from everywhere, gives us worship from everywhere. You can stream anybody at any time, at any place. You don't have to go to a public church anymore. You can now stream it on your phone. And you can also start to ask questions about God. Because of the internet, we can now meet up with people and say, hey, I agree with this, I don't agree with this. What do you think about this? And the problem about the internet is that it isn't just facts and truth. It's what anybody thinks. And so now we can go to and start to use this tool for good and say, hey, I have a question about God, and we can Google that question about God, and that question now is going to get answers and opinions of a billion different people with a billion different ideas, and they're all going to give their thoughts to something, which in a good way opens our mind to say, hey, maybe there's different thoughts than what I think. On the other side of it, how do we know what is true? What is true? What has not changed, and you'll hear this in the Mosaic family over and over and over again, will never change, is that the word of God is the ultimate truth, period. It is the word of God and the word of God alone. We stand on it. I'm not changing the words in it. I'm too afraid of God to even think about that. The word of God is truth. And inside of that, we search what the word of God says. So when we have a question about God, we can Google, which is fine. But my question to you is, is it in the word of God? And right now in American Christian culture, it is getting really messy because now we are starting to move away from truth to opinion is now fact. And so if we want to hold on to truth, we have to ask questions and build a sound foundation and doctrine built on the facts that it's inside the word of God. So we're gonna be exploring this new series. It's gonna be a big, huge word, um, a big uh, seminary word. Uh, I'm a seminary nerd, Uh, Kurt is a seminary nerd. You're gonna enjoy this series if you like nerdy stuff because I love geeking on these things. But the word that we're gonna use is systematic theology. Systematic theology. This is a form and factor that we are gonna take a thought, a doctrine, and we're gonna put it in logical order under one foundational principle. So we're gonna ask a question today, is God good? It is a question which when you do proper work with it through the scriptures, we're going to use systematic theology to be able to break down this answer, to be able to say this is what the word of God says about the question, is God good? So if you ever wanted to go to seminary, uh, welcome to Mosaic for four weeks. You're going to love this. Um, If you never wanted to, uh, come anyways. It's going to be great. You're going to love this because this this is why this is going to be so foundational and great. There's so many questions that walk into my office. So many questions. Every week I get questions about God, about things of the world, about politics, about different movements. There's so many questions. And these questions have a background or a thought in their thought or opinion about God, not about the truth of God. And let me say that again because this is really important because you have your own biases about God. When we ask a question about God, We need to seek truth instead of our bias. So for an example, again, a youth pastor, I'll never forget this, this young lady walked up to me and she was crying and she said, can I talk with you? And I said, of course. And we sat down and she said, I don't believe in God anymore. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Tell me about your story. She said, my grandma just died. I said, oh my word, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, You must, must be really hurting. She says, yes. I can't believe in a God that lets my grandma die. And inside, I'm like, my heart's broken for this young one. And I'm like, oh my word, she'd lost someone she loved. Um, And I'm not about to do systematic theology, talk about death and evil and all these things with this little girl. I just hugged her and said, I'm so sorry. But the foundational root of the question was based on the fact that something was taken from her versus what is really the true story of God. The true story of God, if we want to get into it, which I didn't that day with this young lady, is that death is a result of sin and that we all are going to die, but God did not create us for that. He created us for life and eternal life for that, and it took Jesus Christ dying on the cross, taking all of our sins to offer us life again, and though we live in this terrible world full of sin and brokenness, in which we're all going to die, through Jesus Christ we live again. In her mind, God's mean. My grandma's dead. That was a junior higher, but that's now how adults are thinking. Adults are now bringing those same questions to me in that same pretense of, like, I can't believe God would let this happen to me. I'm like, you made really terrible choices, bro. That's on you. You know, that's what I want to say. But, of course, my counselor had, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, right? But the truth is, is that we need to know God and who he is to answer questions, and that's systematic theology. I'm so sorry for this frog. Let me get one more drink. Again, ragweed. Maybe I should... Move to North Carolina. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Too soon? (laughs) In Millard Erickson's book, uh, Christian Theology, he says this about God's goodness. Because we want to explore this question, is God good? He says this, The goodness of God may be discovered in all of his relationships with his creatures. It is most effectively demonstrated in his moral attributes of purity, integrity, and And the entire complex of characteristics that are identified as his love. And you're sitting in like, great, seminary class. Let me break it down for you. The goodness of God is broken down to knowing who he is and what he does. So if we want to know if God is good, we don't look at what perspective of good is through our perspective. We need to know who God is and what he does. So now we can explore the question, is God good? And with that, we're going to enter into our passage for the day, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As always, I invite you to open up your Bible, and you can open Bible apps here. That's cool now, I won't yell at you. Bible apps or iPads or anything you have to read along. Also, the passage will be on the screen. Mark 10, 17 through 31 is Jesus as approached by man, and he begins teaching him. But this man approaches Jesus with a huge question. Verse 17 says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. So he's just quoting the Ten Commandments. Teacher, he declared, I've kept all these since I was a boy. To enter the kingdom of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and he said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who's left Home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much as this in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pick up our story. This man, Jesus is here, this man. Uh, I like to do it sit, like, like a movie here. Let's not just say, oh, this guy came up. To this guy ran up to Jesus. So he is booking full board, and he slides on his knees on, in, in front of him. So there is a sense of urgency, like, hey, Jesus, uh, how are you doing today? It wasn't that. It was intensity. It was ferocity. He's running. He's sweating. He's like, master, master, whoa, 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 whoa please, 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 please. I have a question. Please, just before you go, before you go, hear me on this, hear me. What do I have to do to get in heaven? Please, please, please tell me. I'm begging you to tell me. And so there's this urgency as he falls before Jesus. I want you to listen to this because this desperation, he's asking, tell me, what do I have to do to get in heaven? What do I have to do to get eternal life? Listen to this again. Don't miss this. What do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to have eternal life? This man in his desperation has been working so hard since he's a boy to figure this out. He's heard the Ten Commandments and he's loved God and he's like, I want to do everything I can right for God and I'm going to give my life and I'm going to follow the commandments and I'm going to do everything right. And so this desperation as he's pleading, please, please, good teacher, you have the answer to this. Answer me, please, I have this question. And Jesus doesn't even answer the dude's question. He doesn't, he bypasses that for a second and being the amazing more pain than our young brothers and sisters and over a course of time of of pain and hurt and i'm understanding that as i'm now middle-aged and and seeing how much is coming i it's very easy to take all this you're like god where are you in the middle of this It's very easy, as I've endured so much pain and hardship in my own life, and I can't speak to your story. I'm just saying, the longer I've lived, there's more pain, to say, God, where are you? God, why don't you love me? God, why aren't you helping me? It's so easy to turn it into my definition of good, and I'm telling you, through my hardships, this thought and this systematic theology and this doctrine of God's goodness has kept me going because I can say, even though it is dark as night in my life, God is good, and I will trust him no matter what. That is the only thread I've hung on in moments in my life, is saying that God is good. And I don't like this, but God's good. If we don't believe that, if we don't think about that, if we don't process that, we're going to say, my life is bad, my life is dark, therefore God is bad, or God is dark, or God has turned his back on me, or God doesn't love me, or God's not a good God. We start to bring these other definitions in. But how then do we know that God is good? Because through this whole thing, <clears throat> this young man who comes up before him, has all this money, doesn't want us to give it up, we see something very interesting in this passage. He starts to teach his disciples. He has this, and the the disciples are amazed by his teaching. Jesus says this. It's verse 23. Check this out. Verse 23 teaches disciples. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The Disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The Disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What we don't understand in this cultural context is that these disciples and all of these people were poor, lower-end people. Yeah, there might be some in the crowd who are there who are a little more well-off. And so in their society, it, let's culturally put it here, um, These are the top of culture. If you are rich and have money, you are famous, you are well known, everybody loves you, you're the popular people, you're the A group in high school, name it what you are. You're the top of the heap. This is the bottom of the heap. And at the bottom of the heap, they're asking this question, at the bottom of the heap, you're telling me that the top of the heap doesn't get in heaven? Like, these are, the, these are the best people. They give the most money to you, God. They, give, they are the best. They have all, everything. They're resourced and they're so awesome and they throw all these big parties and everybody loves them. Like, they don't get into heaven? And so they're amazed because this is not culturally correct for them. So the disciples are like, what? Like, we're toast, man. If those guys and girls can't get in, we're not getting in. And so Jesus continues to teach them. That's why they're so amazed by his words. He's like, and we've heard sermons about eye of needles and camels and all that stuff. That's the, they're missing the point here on that nuance to what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us this. He's teaching us this, that if we are not willing to open our hands of everything and follow him, no matter what status that you are, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven because you have to say, I cannot save myself. I cannot save myself. Only God can save me. And so now, this teaching of Jesus is like, wait a minute. To follow him, we have to give up everything, and we're in. Now, you, it's beautiful because you start to watch this progress as they're figuring this out. Peter now stands up, like, hey, we're in. We gave up everything to follow you. Let's go. Then they're fired up like, we're good, we're good. We're poor, but we're good. And we're in, and God's done this for us. And the, the light starts to click that for those who give everything to follow him, now we're gonna see something that's good about God that we don't quite understand. It isn't just offered to one people group. It isn't offered to just one race. It isn't offered to one political group. God's goodness is that a broken, corrupt human has the ability to have a relationship with God because he's going to provide the way for them. And because he provides the way for them, now we can have a relationship with God no matter what. There's no precursors. Everybody can have a relationship with God if they drop everything and follow him. In our as in American evangelical, we say the words, we give our life to Christ. We make him the Lord of our life. Everybody has the ability to come to God. But not only that, God now says, I'm going to throw more riches and more blessings on you than you can ever imagine. He says this in verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left his home or brothers or sisters or mother, father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And the first thing our eye catches, is like, whoa, we get more in this present age? Like, if I give up everything over here, you're gonna give me more over here in this group. But God isn't talking about our individual wealth, he's talking about the communal wealth, So now you give up this for the gospel and I'm going to create a family for you bigger than you can ever imagine. You now leave this family and you are now part of the family of God. You're part of a bigger movement happening which is going to transform the world. And now you are my brothers and sisters. I have a larger family following Christ than my small family that I have. And so I'm exchanging one for this eternal family. And now this beautiful eternal family. Everything we need is right here. And then... In the eternal age, God's going to bless me and give me more treasure than I can ever imagine. We have no idea what that means because if we knew what that means, what God would give those who sacrifice and give everything in this world, if we knew what it means, it would be a no-brainer. You'd give up everything. You'd sell, give all your stuff to the poor. You wouldn't even think about it like, oh, I'm totally going to exchange that for that. But is that truthfully love? Is that obedience? Or are you just trying to get something out of it? I don't think Jesus talks a lot about heaven and treasures because one, if we knew what heaven was like, truthfully, we'd be like, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I'm, I love you. I'm gone. Like, I'm out of here. And two, if we really knew what those things were, we we're just trying to manipulate God to get more. And so God keeps this very, uh, very, uh, very not clear version of just, will you trust me that I'm good? And in my goodness, there'll be more than you could ever imagine, both in this age and the age to come. I've been a faith follower for a long time and just like all of us, I struggles and I've had ups and I've had downs. There's moments I walk with the Lord, there's moments I walk away. And in my faith journey, I will tell you this, I have seen the family of God and I've had more brothers, sisters, mothers, fields, blessings, finances I could ever imagine that came and I've seen this blessing of Jesus come to life in my life as a follower of Jesus but I've also gone through the persecution, I've also gone through the pain, I've also gone through the brokenness, and I understand what he is saying. And my hope, and my eternal hope, I I kid you not, I think about this, this is my eternal hope, that all of this matters. And I pray this prayer, I'm like, Jesus, I believe that you are good and that all of this matters. Everything I'm going through, the dark days, the valleys, the pain, I trust God that when I follow you in your ways, I give you everything. I trust that it is good and that it matters for eternity. That's all I've got is trust. And that's what we call faith. And when I'm in my darkest days, I'm like, I just trust that this is good. I trust that this is good. God, tell me that this matters. And I'm always reminded it matters because God's good. And so when we think about this question, we Google Is God good? You're going to find a lot of different definitions. God is good because he is the definition of good. And in his goodness, he saved the unsavable. At the same time, he asked one thing of us. Drop everything, follow me. And when we drop everything and follow him, he's like, hey, you follow me, I'm gonna give you more than your heart's desire. I'm gonna make a family bigger than you think, you're gonna have more blessings than what you think, you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. And now you have a larger family, you're gifted and blessed beyond your uh, ultimate belief, at the same time I see you, and I'm gonna not only do something here, I'm gonna give you eternal gifts, which aren't gonna just last for a little bit, will last forever. Jimmy Buffett just passed away this last week, and in his passing, if you know anything about his finances, a financial wizard like made like all this tons of money. None of that went with him, and I don't know anything about Jimmy Buffett and his heart, or where he is. I don't know anything about that. I'm just gonna say this: his money stayed here. of everything that you do for eternity, goes with you. So my question to you today is: God, good? God is good. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.